welcome to Scared by Scott. I'm your host, Scott Newman. This episode contains two stories for you. Our first story is titled Ding Dong Ditch. At some point in your life, You've probably either heard of or been an unwilling victim of the prank teenage kids like to play called Ding Dong Ditch. This particular prank dates back all the way to the 19th century. Trust me, I googled it. I have read about some of the surprising reactions that some people have displayed after being victimized. But you can do that for yourself another time. I can tell you, though, that all their experiences cannot compare to mine. You see, I was once a victim as well. My family and I recently moved to a new town about three hours away from our last residence of five years. My wife, myself, and our two daughters, ages four and seven, made the decision to move to be closer to my aging father-in-law, who had been experiencing some health issues lately. My wife and I had grown increasingly concerned over this, and understandably wanted to try to be closer to him, if possible. We found a house, by some luck, not too much later, that was on the same block as my father-in-law's place. And after some time, completed the process of moving in. To be honest, I wasn't crazy about the neighborhood at first. The street had lots of potholes in it, with a few homes that that looked neglected and run down. Regardless, though, my wife reassured me it was safe enough. After all, she had grown up on that street and knew some of the people that were living there already. Feeling better, we settled in and began to set up a schedule for checking up on her dad. And that's when it started. Not a lot happened at first. Mostly around evening time, there would be a series of knocks at the front door. My wife or I would open the door to see who was there, Of course, nobody ever was. Occasionally, one of the neighbors would come over the chat or ask how Dad was doing. But the majority of the knocks would be someone playing a prank. Sometimes I'd be in the process of shutting the door, and I could hear laughter behind one of the houses across the street. It didn't take long for things to escalate. The knocks would morph into pounding, and soon the doorbell was next. Most of the time, we didn't even hear them sneak up onto our front porch. It would happen when we would be sitting down to dinner as a family, or after the kids were already in bed. It didn't seem to matter. Weekdays or weekends, it continued almost every day. Sometimes multiple times a day as well. I even called the cops once, but by the time they'd showed up, the little jerks would be gone. The cops said they'd been getting similar complaints 
from other homeowners as well, and were trying to step up their patrols. That gave me little comfort, needless to say. About a month into it, I had had enough. This was very disturbing to my family, especially my children, who thought a monster was trying to scare them. They think they could sense how frustrated I was getting, and my wife was already dealing with enough shit between moving and taking care of my father-in-law. I wanted it to end, and at this point I didn't care how. I still remember that night that changed everything. I was sitting in my chair around 9 p.m. in my living room, watching Netflix, when a very familiar sound disturbed my sense of peace. I stormed to the door and threw it open. No one was there. I took a couple of steps onto my porch when straight across from the street came two laser lights shining right at me. If it had been a pair of snipers looking to pick me off, they could not have asked for an easier target. I shouted, one more time, and I'll come over there and beat your asses. More hysterical laughter, followed by them telling me to go fuck myself. As I stepped back inside and went to shut the door, I whispered, I wish someone would kill these little fuckers. What happened next, I cannot explain. I heard another unseen voice, not my own, whisper back through the dark. That can be arranged. With the door now fully shut, I stood there momentarily deciding if what I had heard was real. I went to bed soon after and did not give the incident further thought. The next day at work, my co-workers were standing around discussing something when I asked what all the excitement was about. Didn't you hear what happened? No, what happened? Last night, two teenage boys were found behind their home. They were found in pieces. I think my heart skipped a beat at that moment. Some of the details got leaked to the press, reporting that their arms and legs were ripped off. Each boy also had several large chunks of flesh and muscle missing as well missing from what looked like animal bites. I got home later and collapsed into my chair. The house across the street still had police cars and media vans parked there. I even saw some dried blood in the grass as I peeked over them, walking towards my house. I decided not to speak to any of them at the time. I couldn't help but think I was responsible for all this. Had someone or something heard me? Surely some unseen monster cannot have heard me wish, and then carry it out in an unspeakable, gruesome manner. I didn't really want them dead. I just wanted their incessant torture to stop. Later that night, I was watching TV when I heard a series of soft knocks on the front door. I was the only one up at the time, so I had to answer it. Expecting to greet some police officer or media person to be questioned, I was surprised when no one was there. Just as I was going to shut the front door, I heard a familiar, sinister whisper out of the darkness. What I heard made my stomach twist in knots. 
the whisper said. I have a wish now of my own. Bring me more. Our next story is titled, The Kitty. When I graduated high school back in 2001, I already knew what I wanted to do as a lifetime career. I wanted to work in physical therapy. More specifically, I wanted to work in geriatrics, the elderly population mainly if you're not familiar with that term. About a year before I was to graduate high school, my grandmother suffered a stroke while at home and had to be admitted to a nearby nursing home for rehab after being in the hospital for some time. I went to visit her a lot and was amazed by her progress from the very beginning due to the incredible care all the therapists had given her. She eventually recovered well enough to return home with some outside support and home health services. That's when I knew what my calling in life would be. I graduated four years later from a community college as a physical therapy assistant. I immediately began looking for work in the area and found an open position at a nursing home about 30 minutes from my house. I had initially applied to the facility where my grandmother had been, but they had no open positions at the time. However, I was told they would keep me in mind for future positions in case something did open up. Of course, like any other workplace, there were cliques among the workers, even in a small therapy department. Some people were friendlier than others, and the two that I befriended almost immediately were Sandy and Rich. Rich was an occupational therapist, had been practicing for almost 20 years. Sandy was a physical therapy assistant like me, but I soon came to find out Sandy wasn't an employee of the company that the rest of us worked for. Sandy was what you call a traveling contract therapist. Basically, she was filling the void in the department for a certain time until my company could fill it with her own employee. Sandy told me she would travel from building to building and would work at one for a few weeks or up into a year if required. That sounded like a sweet deal to me. Now, Sandy was a really nice lady in her mid-40s, so she was also experienced like Rich. The thing I did notice right away was that Sandy seemed to work on her own schedule. There were days where she wouldn't come in until 10 or 10.30 even. Rich told me that she didn't live far away from what she had told him, so I just assumed she was a late riser. But no one ever said anything to her about it because she was always getting her caseload seen and documentation done before she left for home every day. One day, while searching through some cabinet drawers in the back of the office, Rich found something strange. It was a plastic container about the size of an adult's hand. It was made from the Hello Kitty brand, with the kitty wearing a pink outfit and matching bow tie on top. It was empty, and we surmised that it was made to store candy and you could twist the head off to get the candy out. 
We all thought it was funny to find such a weird thing there and decided to place it on the windowsill in the gym. It became our official mascot that day. Shortly after that, Rich approached me one day in the hallway with an idea. He asked me about starting a pool in the therapy department. I asked him for what. He said, We can take bets on what time Sandy will show up for work, and then we can put the money in the kitty. I smiled and replied, No, that's a brilliant idea. And I truly did think it was brilliant. It's not that I didn't like Sandy anymore. I was just kind of put back a bit by how she showed up whenever she wanted to and never heard a word about it from anyone. So began the kiddie pool, as it would become to be known. Now we had some rules for this pool. You could participate as much or as little as you'd like, and you could put in as much money as you wanted to. Now we were somewhat limited by the size of the thing, but there were days where the kitty would be filled to capacity. Although I think the highest ever went was about 20 bucks. We all thought that wasn't a bad payday. We also had to be within 10 minutes of the time we guessed Sandy would show up. And to be honest, I was usually right most of the time. So it went on, day after day. Myself, Rich, and one of our other co-workers would place our bets. We even told our director about what we were doing when she became curious about it, but she decided not to participate and just laughed about it. Then, one Monday morning, Sandy didn't show up when we expected her to. None of us in the department had heard from her all morning, and our director hadn't received any messages about her calling off. Exchanging worried glances as we got through our morning, lunchtime came around with no word and Sandy was still a no-show. Our director tried to call her one more time, and then decided to contact the police. As our director stepped into the office to speak over the phone privately, we sat around our desk. What do you think is going on? I whispered to Rich. I don't have a clue. Maybe she called her company and just decided to quit on Friday, stated Rich. Can she do that? without giving notice, I said. Wouldn't be the first time I've seen it happen. Rich spat out between bites of his sandwich. I finished my day, and when I got home I got a call from my director. Apparently the police went to the apartment that Sandy's company had put her up in while she was working at our place. They found her in her living room, lying in a dried pool of blood. Her throat had been slit using a knife from her own kitchen. That was all the details she could tell me. She also said the police were going to question us tomorrow. And so they did, each one of us. When it came to my turn, I could hardly hold back the tears as they asked me some questions like, did Sandy have any enemies that I knew of? Or did she get any visitors at work or obscene phone calls? I told them what I knew, and they left it at that. Before I left that day, Rich approached me and pulled something out of his jacket pocket. It was the kitty. I think you should have this. 
You and Sandy seem to be close, despite our little game. Thanks, Rich. I know she was your friend, too. So I took the kitty home that day, and all the money that was still left in it. The police never did find out who killed Sandy despite their investigation. And slowly as a department, we moved on, and things eventually returned to a sense of normal. Yep, too bad about old Sandy. Like I said, she was a really nice person, just not very bright. After all, what do you expect when you always show up for work whenever you want without being reprimanded, and then never check to make sure you're not being followed home when you always leave after it's dark out? And you definitely don't invite co-workers over to your place in secret that you only just met recently. And you never leave sharp objects just sitting out in the open for anyone to find and use once that person's inside your apartment especially if that someone really doesn't like you. I still remember how she sounded as she died in front of me. The kitty now sits on my bedroom windowsill. My prize from our little game. My trophy. I may have just found my new calling in life. This concludes our episode for today. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for any information about the stories and authors presented in this episode. Please be sure to subscribe to Scared by Scott wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, try not to get scared.